0: church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon.
1: We grieve over people who are not around anymore. And what I mean by that is that there are people, no doubt you have served the Lord with people that you love and care about, people who have come into our churches, come into our services, people who have had a miracle at the altar, people who have had a significant salvation experience. And yet, uh, after some time or after some event takes place, that certain people are not here anymore. Whether they have uh, completely backslidden, gone back to the world, or those who uh, who uh, have given in to false doctrines over the years, uh, this is becoming a greater and greater problem in our world today. The problem of incorrect, false doctrine creeping into the Church of Jesus Christ, and so because of disagreements, or even because of drama, because of family problems, because of uh, unwillingness to to repent and various things. There are chairs that should be filled this morning, but they're not. And uh, I'm not even speaking about necessarily people who are staying home because of the COVID lockdown, watching online. Uh, we still have several people who are faithfully, you know, uh, still giving, still watching online, still doing what they can uh, during this strange time of quarantine. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about those who started well in this Christian faith and who have not finished. And so the question must be asked then, how is it that we can cause ourselves, that we can look at ourselves and say, am I going to be one of those? How do you know that in two years or in three years or in five years that you'll be one of the faithful? That you'll still be serving the Lord, that you'll still be doing what's right, and that you'll still be sitting in one of these chairs, that's important for us to reflect on. And we find an answer to that question in our scripture. And I want to encourage you this morning. I want to give you some some understanding from the Word of God, Psalm 15, and this uh, this very very powerful and helpful word. Let's read together, beginning with verse one. Lord, who may abide? In your tabernacle, who may dwell in your holy hill. He who walks uprightly and works righteousness, speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised. But he honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never, say the word never, never be moved. Let's pray together. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. I thank you for a people, God, committed to your word and to your truth. I'm praying today, help us to be those, God. That will never be moved. That will complete the task that you've set before us, God. That we will be faithful to the end, and we thank you for the opportunity, for the possibility that we have to serve you with permanence, and we give you glory in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, "Amen." This is a message I titled "Who's Going to Stick," and because uh, this is a, uh, a this is a contentious issue especially for pastors or for people in leadership of churches you've been around for a little while what we desperately want to see is not just people who come and visit a few services that's great we love to have visitors we 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 want to have visitors in every service but the truth is we want more than just visitors can you say amen we want people who are going to be saved and who are going to stick To the will of God. And what we find in our scripture today are some clues and some evidence of those that the Word of God tells us are going to stick. And the reason why this is so helpful is because we can compare our lives to the very things that are in the scripture and we can measure ourselves. Am I doing the things that would cause a person to stick in the will of God? So I want you to be open this morning. I want you to uh, reflect on your own life because uh, it's dangerous for us to try to to take what God's speaking and bounce it off of me and hopefully it hits you. That's not the goal this morning. The goal is self-reflection. God, do these things apply to my life? So can we do that together? Let's examine what the Bible says. There are two interesting separate questions in the Scripture that David uh, speaks about. He asks, number one, who may abide in your tabernacle? And number two, who may dwell in your holy hill? These are very interesting questions, and they apply directly to our lives. So first of all, let's talk about the tabernacle. This, of course, gives an image of the original tabernacle that we're also reading about in our Bible reading plan, t- the tabernacle which was originally built in the desert, in the wilderness, after God's people had gone out from Egypt. And uh, after they had received the word from, uh, from God, the Ten Commandments, Moses comes down with these commandments, and he begins to give them instructions about how to build a tabernacle. Now, what was the tabernacle? It was a meeting place. It was a place, essentially, it was a large tent that was mobile. It was able to be moved from one place to another. God gave them very specific instructions about how to build it, what materials to use, what dimensions, what fabrics. Uh, He gave them all of this understanding because God wanted them to have a place where he could meet with his people. More than that, he wanted to have the a place where the people could meet with God. And so we're, we're talking about, the imagery of the Old Testament has a direct application to our lives today. It is a metaphor. It is a type. It is a shadow. What does the tabernacle point towards? It points towards our meeting place today, which is the church. The tabernacle is, uh, I believe, a wonderful illustration of what the church is. It is a proper type. It is a shadow of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the same way that that tabernacle, that it could be disassembled, could be packed up into boxes, put on the backs of horses or donkeys, and as the cloud led them through the wilderness, then it would rest in a certain spot. They would unpack it, just like the traveling circus, and they would open it up, and the tent would be there, and there they could worship too. Didn't Jesus say, as he was giving the Great Commission, he he said, Lo, I will be, be with you always, wherever you go. He said, Where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. This is the definition of the church, where the body of Christ comes together to meet with one another, but more importantly, to meet with God. This is the picture of the church. So who, Lord, who, will, who can be in your tabernacle? In other words, who is going to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ? Who is going to be a part of the church as it travels into cities, into nations, into new locations, into arenas and areas where it hasn't been before? Who can be part of your church? Secondly, the question that was asked is who may dwell in your holy hill? There is much discussion in the Old Testament when it comes to prophecy about the mountain of God. Some people uh, have, have considered that there's only really one mountain that is important. I don't think that that's the case. There are many mountains in the Old Testament. All of them are symbolic, like the mountain where Moses climbed up Mount Sinai to meet with the Lord, where the Lord gave him the commandments of God. But there's also much discussion and much prophecy around the holy hill of God, also called Mount Zion. This there is uh, there is much prophecy about where Jesus is going to return to the earth, the Mount of Olives. There's many mountains, but symbolically, when the question is asked, who may dwell in your holy hill? I believe the way we can interpret that is who, Lord, can be with you in your eternal kingdom. It's the place where the people of God finally found rest. It is the picture of our eternal home in the presence of the Lord in heaven. So two questions. Lord, who can be part of your tabernacle and who can be on the holy hill? In other words, we could say, Lord, who's going to be part of the church and who's going to go to heaven? Those are two really good questions. And I believe that the, the answer that is given in this psalm should cause all of us to reflect And to consider our own lives. We're going to look at four things. Who may dwell in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? Number one, we have to consider the walk. Look at verse two. He who walks uprightly. The walk. You know, the walk says a lot about the character. We have this amazing story about uh, Jacob in in the book of Genesis. And Jacob, the Bible says, has some character flaws. Aren't you glad nobody here has any character flaws? But God has to deal with a few things in Jacob's life before he can step forward into the will of God. Before he becomes Israel, before he gives birth to the 12 tribes, right? Before he becomes a part of the patriarchs, Jacob, before he becomes Israel, God has to deal with some things in his life. His very name, it means uh, it means a, a huckster. It means someone who's, uh, he's a thief, he's a supplanter. We see that that mentality at work in his life. We see how he steals the birthright from his brother. We see how he is devious in how he deals in certain areas of life. And see, so God has a promise for him, but God can't give that promise to him until he deals with some character flaws. You know, that's true about you. That's true about me. God has precious promises and blessings that he has for your life and your family. But many times he withholds those blessings and those promises because of character flaws. What's interesting about Jacob is the Bible says he meets a man on the way to meet his brother. And the Bible said he wrestles with that man. The uh, the Bible describes this man as the angel of the Lord. It's a wrestling match with God himself. And as a result of that match, the Bible said that finally, after they wrestled all night, I'll not let you go until you bless me. And that the angel of the Lord touches Jacob on his hip and puts it out of joint. And there is a muscle that the Jews do not eat because of this story, because of that muscle that holds in the joint. And so that you know, when they butcher a cow or a lamb or whatever, they will not eat that particular muscle because of this story. And as a result of this meeting with God, Jacob walks away with a little limp. He's walking like an OG. You know what I'm saying? He is he is gonna forever. He's gonna be walking differently. But that's more than just his physical walk. It's more than just how he's walking with his feet. It's his life has now been changed. His name has been changed. He said, You are no longer Jacob, but you will be called Israel. The name is, it's, it, it simply means one who has struggled with God. One who has struggled with God. What about you? Have you struggled with God? Our scripture says, He who walks uprightly, true believers. Are not, uh, are, are not walking the way that they used to walk. They're not living the way that they used to live. We're not scurrying from place to place in shame, trying to hide the things that we've done. Those who walk uprightly, it means that there's nothing to hide. This is one of the wonderful things about living for God is you don't have to live in shame. You don't have to have guilt. You remember what it was like when you knew that you were wrong, that you were going to stand before God one day? And that was a reason for shame, wasn't it? Many people turn to false gods and idolatry and turn to atheism and humanism and paganism because they don't like the idea of standing before God one day. Ivan was speaking to our class about this. We have a, I teach a, the Bible class in our school on the other side of our building every Wednesday morning. And so I was I was uh, we we were talking about God's creation and how God has made himself known through the physical creation. And I was asking our students, I said, uh, can you believe that there are people in this world who go out at night and look up in the night sky and all of the miracles and the stars and the galaxies? And when I see that, I say, man, God, you are amazing. But there are people who look at that and say, "Uh, guess it was all a big accident. That nothing exploded and created everything. Whoops, it was just a cosmic burp. And it was all just a happy accident. And I asked my students, why would someone, I said, I don't have enough faith to believe that. That takes a lot of faith to believe nothing exploded and created everything. I said, why? To all of these sixth and fifth and fourth graders, why would someone want to say it's easier to believe in nothing than to believe in God? And they got it immediately. They they said, because they don't want to stand before God. Don't want to believe in God because if God exists, it means I'm accountable. It means he makes the laws and I have to live by them. When we were in our sin, we understood that and that's why sin leads to guilt and shame. See, the walk is important to God. The walk speaks not only of your uprightness, but it speaks about direction. See, you don't just walk in circles, do you? Maybe while I'm preaching I do. But walking, it speaks about direction. What's the direction of your life? It means that you're moving from somewhere and you're going to somewhere. Let me ask you, church, is the direction of your life still moving away from the wickedness of your past? Because... Sometimes it's uh, what we find ourselves doing is we're on the path which leads to life and righteousness and the will of God. And we find ourselves either stopping or deviating. We find ourselves with time and with years uh, under our belt. How many know? Sometimes we find ourselves going the wrong direction. It speaks of going somewhere. How many know God has a place for us? The will of God has an address. Something we learned from Pastor Campbell years ago. The will of God has a physical location. It has a time. It has a date. It has a stamp where we should be going. How's your walk this morning? Second thing that defines who will stick. Look again at verse 2. He who walks uprightly and he who works righteous, righteousness. So the second evidence of uh, uh, who can dwell in the holy hill? Who will be part of the tabernacle is the work, the work of your life. This is where Jesus gets involved, and he says, he says, uh, you can know a man by his fruits. You can know the character of someone by what they produce. In other words, it's more than just talk. It's more than just what you say. You know, it's easy to say, yeah, 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 I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I go to church. I'm a member of the potter's house. Come on, somebody. That's words. And it's easy to produce a few words. But what's more important is the works. This is about someone who does more than just talk, but does what he says. You know, when we say I'm part of the potter's house, do you know what you're saying? We're saying we're part of a Holy Ghost fellowship. Tongue talking, street preaching, prayer meeting. And it's one thing to say, yeah, I'm a member of the Potter's House. It's quite another to <laughs> to be that true person, that true believer. What are the works of your life? And this is where it's helpful. You know, if I followed you around, if if I, if I put a camera on you, and I put a microphone on you, what would your works tell me? Yeah, it's great that you've shown up here this morning. You're sitting in the seat. You've probably even given something in the offering. But what happens when you leave this place? What happens? You go out the door. You go back to your house. You go on your job. You know, I'm amazed about the people who, who come to church and name the name of Christ, and yet the day that we have on the, on the weekly schedule, we have a day every week, where we do the things that we say are the most important, right? What are the most important things we do as a Christian? We read the Bible, and we tell people about Jesus. And we pray. Like, those are, those are top three in the Christian life, right? Did you know we have a day that we do all three of those things? That were on the calendar yesterday. We prayed, we told people about Jesus, and we studied the Word of God. And I can, you know, it's, it's amazing to me. We can, we can get people to come to church services where we sit here and we hear a, a, a sweating preacher talk about Jesus. But when it comes time to do the three most important things, the prayer, the evangelism, and the Bible study, somehow 70% of the church can't find time for those things. Am I preaching to anybody today? That was for free. That wasn't even in my notes. James 2.26, for the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without works is dead also. What about your works? I know we've got stuff going on in life. Don't hate me. I understand. Life is busy. But I'm trying to challenge our church. Listen, I can remember the days back in Chandler. Man, you'd show up on a Saturday outreach and half the church was there. Half a church of 400 people. That's like 200 people on outreach. What could we do in our city if half of our church would come to outreach? How much impact could we make? How many souls could hear the gospel? How many seeds could be planted? How much better understanding would you have of the word of God if you would set some time aside for Bible study together? See, listening to a sermon is great, but... The Bible study is a great opportunity to understand a few more things. I'm very pleased with these Bible studies. I think they're going well. But you know what? We need you to be there. What do your works say about your faith? Do they agree? Third thing, verse 2. He who walks uprightly, he works righteousness, and he who speaks the truth in his heart. The third thing we need to look at are the words, the words. Do you know the great power of your words? We know that words alone aren't, aren't enough. But there is a, a, the incredible truth that words can determine the direction of your life. James, he speaks about the words of a man. He says that they're like the rudder of a ship. And those of you who are sailors, you spend some time on ships, you know that every ship has a rudder has something that you turn the wheel and guess what? That rudder moves ever so slightly. But a tiniest move of that rudder can cause the the largest aircraft carrier to go in the direction that they need it to go. This is the power of words. Proverbs 18, verse 21. Death and life. Say it out loud. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. There was a um, story of a country church in a small village. There was an altar boy serving the priest at a Sunday mass in a Catholic church. And as he was there, he, uh, he was carrying uh, the, the uh, container of wine. And he's walking down the aisle and he, he, he uh, tripped and he dropped the container. Wine spilled all over the floor. The village priest became angry and struck the boy on the cheek And in a voice, he shouted at him, leave the altar and never come back. That boy, as the story goes, became the communist dictator named Tito. There was another cathedral in a large city where a similar altar boy serving a bishop at a Sunday mass did the same thing and dropped the container of wine. But in this case, there was a man, a bishop, who gently whispered to him, son. Someday you'll be a priest. That same boy grew up to become the Archbishop Fulton Sheen. Same mistake, but different words. This is the power of life and death. James 3, verse 5 Even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. Jesus said that the, uh, that the words we speak come out. From the heart that is in us, he said, "Don't be deceived." He said, "He said uh, you are not defiled by the things you put into your body. You become defiled, but out of the heart a man speaks evil. That's what defiles us. See, when you are speaking well, when you are speaking faith, when you are speaking truth, this gives evidence. Finally, as we close, there's one more thing that you got to look at to determine." If you're going to stick, verse five, he who doesn't put out his money at usury nor takes a bribe against the innocent, what we must look at is the wallet. And so we have these four areas of our lives, the walk, the works, the words, and the wallet. And perhaps of all of them, this gives us the most accurate representation of what's happening inside. We spoke last night in our Bible study about about the ability that we have to judge people. Right. So we have as believers, we have the responsibility to examine one another's lives and confess to one another our sins. And oftentimes the church is failing at this. We don't hold each other accountable like we should. And perhaps this is one of the the most obvious areas. It's interesting here that God includes the way we use our money on the list of things that is needed to enter into heaven. I'm not saying that you can buy your seat at God's eternal throne. It's not like we're purchasing our get-out-of-hell-free cards. But what we do with our money has a profound impact of our heart. Jesus spoke so much about money. 16 of the 38 parables, close to half, were concerned about how to handle money and possessions. In the Gospels, four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one out of 10 verses, think of that, one out of 10 verses about a tithe, all deal directly with the subject of money. One out of 10. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Don't tell me that God's not interested in your wallet. Of course he is. Of course he is because the way that we handle money, the way we treat money is a direct representation of your heart with God. Luke 9 verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I will restore fourfold. You know what amazes me about Zacchaeus? He comes to the Lord, he has been touched, he has been challenged, he has repented of his sins, and he's excited to do something for God. And this is what he does. As a rich man, he's a tax collector. He's a chief tax collector. And so he understands, if I'm going to do something good for God, I've got to get this part of my life right first. And as a proof that his life has changed, he goes to Jesus and he tells him, look what I'm about to do. I'm about to make my money right. You know what's so amazing to me? is Jesus' response. What he doesn't say he never says, oh, Zacchaeus, I appreciate your good intentions, but that's not really going to help. That's not what Jesus said. If it was today, if, he, if, if Zacchaeus would have come to a pastor in 2021 and said, you know what? I'm going to restore to those that I, some pastors might say, some Christians might say, oh, are you sure that's a good move? That's not going to help your bottom line, bro. Maybe you should give to the church instead. Maybe you should uh, lay your hands on the television and pray for a thousand manifold blessing. But what Jesus said to Zacchaeus is amazing to me. He said, today salvation has come to this house. Jesus confirms that Zacchaeus' faith is real. That he is going to stick because of what he did with his money. It was evidence of his faith. When Zacchaeus's wallet got saved, it was real, man. See, I wonder about people, and I can always tell those who are struggling spiritually because the tithe and the offering suffers. I can always tell. You might be showing up for church. You might be uh, reading the Bible. But when it's not right with the finances, I'm concerned. I'm concerned. Because the wallet speaks about your relationship with God. So what about you this morning? Sometimes it, it, to be right with God, with money, it's more than just the, the, the weekly tithe, isn't it? Sometimes God asks above and beyond. And you know what? God has the right to do that, doesn't he? <laughs> the same God who gave you everything, he has the right sometimes To say, you know what, I need more than a tithe this week. I need more than a tithe this month. Are you open to that? Or do you say, get behind me, Satan? The wallet shows us the heart. All right, we'll move on. Let's close with the promise. Look at verse 5. These are the markers of a heart who is on fire for God. And verse 5 gives us the promise that we all need to hear. He who does these things shall never be moved. In other words, today we will find permanence. You know, we we all long for permanence, don't we? We want our lives to matter for something. We want our lives to make a difference. What are the things in life that are going to give you permanence? The number of followers you have on social media is not the answer. That doesn't give you permanence. The address where you're living, that doesn't give you permanence. The number that is on your bank account, that doesn't give you permanence. What gives you permanence? What gives you the right that you shall never be moved? I tell you, it is when you serve the Lord. It means that he who does these things, not those who have good intentions, not those who know all the right things, but to him who does these things will never be moved no storm will tear him from foundations or uproot you from your place in the same way that jesus that his kingdom that he came to establish his kingdom which will never be moved he established first as a spiritual kingdom but one day coming very soon to a city near you a earthly kingdom A kingdom above all kingdoms, a king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the name above every name. That is the kingdom that will never be moved, and you can be a part of it when you do these things. Not when you get a promotion on your job, not when you make an upgrade to your standard of living. If you want your life to make a difference, if you want to dwell with Him, in the tabernacle, in the holy hill, in eternity, in permanent things. No life, death, nor any other thing shall separate us from the love of God. I love this scripture, Matthew 7, as we close. It's the Sermon on the Mount, and I mention it so many times, but relevant right now. Jesus teaches and he preaches the most powerful sermon that has shaken the world ever since he spoke it. He gave us principles that will last forever in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That's that's worthy of you reading it every single day. It really is. It's, it has changed the world again and again and again, this Sermon on the Mount. And with such a powerful message, you wonder then, if J- Jesus gave us the key to understanding life, which he did, like those three chapters, you could live a powerful, successful life but it's mo- it's got to be more than just theory more than just abstract you can study the sermon in the mount in a class you can break down the words in the greek and guess what you can still walk out and be disobedient and that's why he closes this sermon with these words and he says whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them will be like a man who builds his house on the rock and the rain descended the floods came The winds blew, beat on that house, and it did not fall. That life found permanence. How? Through obedience. Doing what they know is right. So I wonder, what about you this morning? What about your life? It's easy for us to sit in a church service and say, yes, amen, pastor. I believe the power of God. And walk out. And live your life in a way that defiles the word of God. Whoever hears these sayings and does them. Are you going to do them? Are you going to walk differently? Are your works going to testify about your relationship with God? Are your words, the words that you speak, are they going to glorify the Lord and set your life in the direction that it needs to go? And your wallet. I pray God would give us those who would establish their lives as a house built on the rock, which will never be moved. And in that way, we will find incredible strength and power and purpose with God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we bring this service to an end. These are the signs of those who get it. These are the signs of those who will not be moved. These are the signs, the markers of life that tell us if you're going to make it or not. And notice I didn't mention anything about the clothes that you wear. I didn't mention anything about the car you drive. Which seat you choose when you come to church. All of those things are unimportant to what we're talking about today. I don't know about you, but in my life, I want my life to count for something. I want to look back at my life one day and say, God, I pray that I've done what you've called me to do. I want to be obedient to your will. I'm very concerned about people who don't change, who don't find issues that God is dealing with you about. The good news is that we serve a patient God, a forgiving and merciful God who wants to work with us, who wants to help us and change us and transform us and cause us to be more than we are today. We're going to open the altar in just a few moments. You're going to have an opportunity to pray and ask God to help you. Before we do that, though, I want to ask if there's someone here being honest, you're not right with God. You're not concerned about the things of God. And it shows in the way that you speak, the way that you act, the way that you walk, and the priorities of your wallet. You may not be involved in gross, negligent evil. You're not, you know, you're not a pimp or you're not addicted to crack cocaine and you're, you're not doing, you know, wickedness out on the streets. Hopefully, maybe you are. The point is that we all can be radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. God in heaven, a holy God who is righteous, who is high and lifted up. He is set apart. He is different because he's holy. But here's the good news. He cares about you. He wants to save you. And so to the non-religious person or to the religious person, I remind you, he wants to save you. He wants to change your life. You're here today. You're not right with God, but you want to be. I'd love to pray with you. If that's you right now, I want to ask you to do something. I want you to lift up your hand. Say, please, Pastor, please pray for me. I need the power of God. I need more than just Sunday morning religion. I need God to speak to me. If that's you, I want to pray with you. I see a hand over here. I see a hand over there. I see God dealing with hearts. Maybe there in live stream world, maybe God's dealing with you. You'd respond wherever you're watching, whatever's happening in your life. You'd put a response. You'd reach out to our church. We want to pray with you. God can do a miracle right now in your life. If you reach out, If you believe God. There is a miracle waiting for you if you would respond. Right now, before we do anything else, if, you, if that's you, you've lifted your hand. You're ready to respond. You're ready to commit your life to the Lord Jesus. I want you to look at me quickly You meant that? You meant that? You want to come? We're going to pray with you right now If I could have a man come and pray With this young man We're going to believe God to help us Oh God is a faithful and holy God And he can Transform us Oh God would you move this morning I want to speak to the church quickly As we close this service God's going to help us Four simple things the the Word of God reveals. Reveals who will dwell in the most holy place. Who can be a part of God, your tabernacle? And you've you've reflected on your own life and realized there's a few things that I need to get right. I'm not doing well. God, I want to be more faithful. That's you. We're going to open up this altar for prayer. Let's come and let's ensure our place at the seat of the table. Let's make sure that we're on the road that is leading to life and not destruction. I want to ask you to stand in this place. Let's stand together as we open up this altar for prayer. Let's come and do some business with the Lord. Let's repent for a disobedience in our lives. And let's begin to cry out to God. Lord, I want you to help me.
0: We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox?